the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Talk each day. Then sports coverage and entertainment after hours. The Biz 1440. KYCR Golden Valley. Well, that's her news. I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. China sent dozens of fighter jets and warships towards Taiwan in response to a meeting between Taiwan's president and the U.S. Speaker of the House. Here's Karen Chambers. China's state TV had footage of Chinese soldiers conducting the exercises near Taiwan as the Chinese military announced three days of what they called combat readiness patrols. The move was meant as a warning to those who want to make the island's de facto independence permanent. Taiwan's Ministry of Defense condemned what they called an irrational act that has jeopardized regional security and stability. In Taipei, U.S. Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall promised U.S. support in providing weapons to Taiwan. We're doing everything we can in Congress to speed up these sales and get the weapons that you need to defend yourself. I'm Karen Chamas. More on these stories at srnews.com. The institutions use the markets to create income and get better returns for their investors. They are consistent year after year using tools that most people know nothing about. Learn the skills to invest and trade with the institutions at a free investing class in our local Twin City Center or virtually at 952-814-4410. Discover the tools the institutions use daily at Online Trading Academy, 952-814-4410 or go to learnwithota.com. Your children and grandchildren are inheriting a world that's more upside down than ever before. They'll need extraordinary skills to make a positive impact. A Christian education will give them the solid foundation they need to not only endure, but thrive. And that education is available for half off their first year through TwinCitiesTuitions.com. To see our full list of participating schools and to see if the half-off tuitions program is a good fit for your family, go to TwinCitiesTuitions.com. That's TwinCitiesTuitions.com. Tens of thousands affected by the toxic water at Camp Lejeune are left with death, cancer, Parkinson's, dementia, birth defects, and other serious illnesses. And along with the harm, so many worries. My family drank the Camp Lejeune water. What if our health gets worse and we need more financial help? How do I protect my VA benefits and get the compensation I deserve and need? The answer is simple. Call James Harris Law, the experienced, trusted law firm that can get you significant compensation while protecting all your VA benefits. We're already fighting for hundreds of Marines, families, and civilians who drank Camp Lejeune water. But if you miss the deadline, you could forever lose your right to the justice you deserve. So call our Camp Lejeune legal helpline now. Now may be your last chance to receive full compensation. Don't delay. Call 800-320-7171. 800-320-7171. 800-320-7171. Portions of this program may have been pre-recorded. The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Come on, rise and shine. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? It's going to be a great year. Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. Is it safe? It's the King Banyan Show. This is a man. Your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. My mind is a globe whirling transient nodes of thought. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. Good morning again. Welcome. Uh, happy uh, happy Holy Week to those of you who observe. Uh, and happy Passover and happy Ramadan to those of you who observe. Those religions as well, very important week. Um, in my household, it's uh, both, it's Easter and we'll go to Easter, we'll have brunch, and as soon as I get home, my wife releases me of all other obligations so I can watch the final round of the Masters. Because that's important. 
Uh, something else that happens uh, frequently. Uh, once a month, I go on a local radio program up here in St. Cloud. Um, and with, with, with a guy, I actually play fantasy baseball with this guy, uh, the, the host of this, this show, of his show, that show, uh, on, a, on another station, as, as we say in the radio business. Uh, and uh, he frequently asked me about what's going on with gas prices. And, of course, so I was on last Monday, and, of course, over the weekend, you had OPEC make this kind of major announcement. And so I kind of did the best I could. It was Monday morning, and you're still trying to figure out what all the impacts are uh, and, and and do that. But the person who we probably should have called instead is uh, Pete Earle. Uh, Pete is uh, at the uh, is an economist with the American Institute for Economic Research, uh, and uh, we are very happy to have him back. I think it's his second time on the show, and uh, I actually like what he writes and think to myself, we should have this guy on more often. Pete, good morning. How are you? Good morning, King. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for being here. Thank so, Pete, be, yeah, Pete, let's go. Let's go back to the week to last weekend. And talk through what the heck is it? And it it wasn't really like a formal OPEC meeting. It was just like this press release of a bunch of com- countries saying we're going to not produce as much oil as we did before. Can you talk through what that what that was? Sure. So um, the first thing and the most important thing to mention is that it was a surprise, and it came at odds with what um, some of the uh, some of the more prominent members of OPEC, which we call OPEC Plus had said just a few weeks ago. It's only maybe three weeks ago or so that um, OPEC Plus, which is Saudi Arabia, Russia, UAE, a few other nations in the entire group, said they didn't anticipate making any production cuts for some time. And then over the course of last week, an announcement came and said they're going to cut a total of about a million barrels a day. Um, And that's going to be a portion about half a million uh, less a day from Saudi Arabia, a certain amount less from Russia, and so on. And um, that was a surprise, and it's a surprise for not only because they had said that they wouldn't do that, but also because um, it sort of puts a uh, uh, sort of underscores the distance between the current administration and um, and, and, and uh, you know the rest of OPEC. So uh, and, and OPEC. So there's a, there's a lot of things, especially now with inflation and with the economy slowing, that this is going to have an impact on. If indeed uh, they go ahead with it, which I, I mean I have no reason to believe they won't. Right. So, so Pete, here, when I teach, I haven't taught for a while because I'm now working in the dean's office, but uh, when I would teach uh, principles of economics, be it micro or macro, I would, I would have at least half a class where we talk about cartels. And OPEC is always the classic cartel. What I find interesting about this story is that typically in a cartel, you kind of need everybody to agree to, to the production level and to the allocation of the production, right? So right. what is it about OPEC that allows it to sort of have these this group of countries, led by two of their biggest producers, Saudi and, and UAE, come out and just say independently, we're going to reduce what we're producing? How does the rest of OPEC respond to that? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, and, and you're right, I mean, I've taken uh, economics course at various levels, and one of the usual... OPEC is the usual example of a cartel, but, you know, when we talk about the original cartels, which were, you know, anywhere from three to six railroad companies, they all had to agree in order to uh, sort of fix rates and that sort of thing. Now, in the, in the case of OPEC, um, the reason why there's a, a sort of an internal breakdown of OPEC plus is because two or three, maybe four of the countries in OPEC, I don't remember how many they are, I'm going to guess 15, are really sort of prominent players. They, are, they, they, they make up most of what's happening. And, um, you know, because this cartel uh, has, to, has to come together at times, I think what they do is they, they can rely on a few of them uh, to make uh, sort of sort of decisions, and then to uh, what do you call it, to for the others to follow along, and also I mean they they they, they cited the amount they were going to cut, and then the amounts different countries are going to cut, and I don't think some of the more marginal members of OPEC are going to be necessarily on board with that, and um, I, I just uh, I, I don't think. With the, with the market power that they have, and especially the prominent power of the two or three or four largest members of OPEC, I don't think they need the buy-in of the smaller countries, the smaller producers, uh, which I'm not really sure which they are, but I could probably guess they're probably some of the small African countries like Nigeria and so on. 
Yeah, so so I pulled it up. It's thirteen. It's thirteen countries in OPEC itself, okay. and then OPEC Plus adds a number, another eleven countries. So let's I see. Interesting. Okay, so it's oh yeah. So I okay. I'm assuming Wikipedia is is authoritative on this on this particular point. It's kind of hard to believe mm-hmm. they get that wrong. Um, so here's here's my here's my question. Here's the question that that occurred to me. I didn't say it when I did the the radio program on Monday, but but I've been thinking about it all week. Why would the other countries that did not agree to these voluntary reductions? Why would they not simply produce back in the level that Saudi and UAE are reducing? Because that's the classic way a cartel uh, loses its ability loses its ability to function is you'll right. get you'll get people cheating on the cartel agreement. Right. The way most cartels fall apart is when one member of the cartel makes side deals or does things on the side. Right. Exactly. So why wouldn't they do that? I'm not sure. I think I think one of the reasons uh, for, for the supply cut was not only to kind of stick it to the U.S., but also I think honestly it's because they anticipate a recession in the later part of this year. And I think they want to make money while they can, because, of course, when we have a recession, global demand, especially U.S. being a, a gigantic industrial and, and economic powerhouse, um, when you have a recession, demand for oil falls, and then you're going to have those sort of price cuts anyway. I have a feeling that they are going to want, especially for smaller players, um, to make money while they can and to make as much as they can while they can. So they'll make money at their same level of production. And also, you know, we, we don't know, I'm sure there are super experts out there, but we don't know, you know, if some of those small nations even have the capacity to expand their production. Yeah. So, you know, some of them, these are, these are capital intensive processes that take a lot and they can't be, you know, it's not like a, and I'm sure you know, you can't slip a, flip a switch and be, you know, have more production or less overnight necessarily. Yeah, and and that's sort of one of the one of the points I've heard some some people who I think are more knowledgeable than I am on on the oil industry itself. Uh, in that, um, you would think if the price goes up, that might bring some U.S. shale back into the market. But but there there's a there's a I don't know belief there uh, or, or theme that I'm hearing that indicates that the shale producers are very reluctant to add production and try to re to re-engage their fields because they've been burned before by prices all of a sudden getting lowered because saudi turns on a dime and floods the market drives the price down where below where the shale producer can make a profit um so so that's that's absolutely true yeah yeah, and I think that probably, Pete, is the reason why. We're visiting with Pete Earle uh, from the American Institute for Economic Research here on the King Banyan Show. Pete, one, there's two other things to talk about. There's two, you know, and, and this gets to geopolitics a little bit. One, Saudi Arabia and China within the last month have signed an agreement whereby Saudi Arabia is providing financing for the building of a large refinery in China – and at the same time promising half a million barrels a day to that refinery to keep it to keep it with crude to produce and refine and then presumably sell into the chinese market i think one possibility could be that china of course does china want higher oil prices or higher gas prices higher oil prices or lower or is this sort of china perhaps playing a game with us and maybe that's why uh Maybe that's why the Saudis changed their mind. Yeah, I think what we're, what we're seeing happen right now, and I mean, uh, one major sort of turning point or one major development in this sort of and uh, the sort of changes that have been happening was the uh, uh, the invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia, but also for some other reasons, we're seeing sort of the growth of a of a new block, and by that I mean the BLOC block that we've never really seen before. It's Russia, China, it's Saudi Arabia. It's a number of other nations, and what they're doing is they're trying to build closer ties, and they're trying somewhat to disintermediate the U.S. dollar and the impact of, of sort of U.S. And, uh, and, and European uh, influence in the various energy markets. Some people have called this Bretton Woods Three. I don't think that's an accurate sort of uh, description for a number of reasons, but I do think that this is just one sign that we have uh, the growth of some some of these, uh, I guess China's still in a, a sort of an emerging economy, but, you know, BRICS in particular, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and, so- and South Africa, and we can throw in Saudi Arabia and some other countries, they're really building close ties both in terms of global finance and in terms of global energy. And I think that's uh, this, is, this is yet another sign that that's developing and rapidly. 
Okay, so one more geopolitics question, and you mentioned Ukraine, Pete. Um, is that uh, part of OPEC Plus is Russia, right? Yep. Russia, yep. Is fa- Russia is facing a, 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 an oil price cap on the sale of its products there. Um, I don't, Pete, between you and me and our listeners, I've always been a skeptic that sanctions work. Um, yes. And, and I, I, mean, I mean, that's how I was trained back in the 70s and 80s, and I still believe that in most cases they do not work. Uh, and, and I would say perhaps this is a place where certainly Russia has to like this development, don't they? Sure. So, you know, I, I actually wrote an article last summer for uh, Financial History uh, about sanctions and the fact is that those sanctions typically don't work. I mean, we still use sanctions because it's thought that we should exhaust ex- all possibilities before we, say, go to war or something like that. But, I mean, you know, we're always going to apply sanctions, but they don't work well. I mean, partially, you know, countries are like people and they adjust and they adapt. But we even saw a few weeks ago, we saw Japan agree to buy oil at over the price cap that was set by the West. So um, even some of our allies are, you know, they're, they're choosing their self-interest over those of sort of these shifting geopolitical pacts that emerge. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Russia is going to be very much in favor. Uh, it was said that with oil at, say, 75, Russia needed maybe $3 a barrel of the equivalent to make money, and they've already got five out of this OPEC development. So we'll see how high things get. So it almost feels like a confluence of, you know, and I, I hate doing conspiracy theory. And again, geopolitics is a little <laughs> bit outside of my area. But but sure. Saudi, China, Russia kind of feels like they all are, have similar interests at this moment. Hey, we need to take a break here, Pete. Uh, we're going to practice a little capitalism here. We're talking with Pete Earl from the American Institute for Economic Research. You are listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Sightseeing in Ferris, at the Mall in Bloomington, or on horseback in Dallas. We're where you are. Listen to The Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Did you know you were kicking in your mommy's tummy before you were born? We were? Yep, I just learned at school that babies move and kick before they're even born. No No wonder we're so good at soccer. That's right, kids. A pre-born baby is moving about and even kicking just 14 weeks from conception. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of information and alternatives to abortion, or you'd like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, Please call 1-800-366-7773, 1-800-366-7773, or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Over 50,000 police officers are assaulted on the job each year, leading to injuries and death. This is the reality they deal with when making contact with the public. Another reality is that if someone doesn't comply with a lawful order or uses force against them, police may have to use sufficient force in response to obtain compliance. Use of force is always ugly. Nobody likes it, especially police, and nobody knows how it will turn out. Spread the word. For de-escalation to work, both parties must de-escalate. And de-escalation isn't necessary if there is no escalation. Help police by not escalating. Don't attack or try to disarm an officer. Whether it's getting asked a question, getting a citation, or getting arrested, don't argue, don't resist, don't flee. After the encounter has been resolved is the time to address any complaints. Comply now, complain later. Keep everybody safe. This message brought to you by the National Police Association. To learn more about how to help law enforcement accomplish its goals, visit nationalpolice.org. C.S. Lewis once said, Education without values seems to make man a more clever devil. A Christian education is the solution to this problem and can be yours for half price for your child's first year. TwinCitiesTuitions.com and area schools are working together to make this a reality for families just like yours. Now you can equip your child with the knowledge and moral foundation needed for them to make an impact in today's world. To see the full list of participating half-off tuition institutions, go to TwinCitiesTuitions.com. That's TwinCitiesTuitions.com. 
You could save up to 50% on water and salt costs with wet technology softeners from Commerce Water. And you'll notice softer skin and hair, too. Save $400 when you trade in your old salt hog now at Commerce Water. Go to Commerce.com. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, the Biz 1440. Visiting this hour with Pete Earle uh, is an economist with the American Institute for Economic Research. And, um, Pete, my memory is the places in uh, western Massachusetts. Do you actually live in that area? So, uh, yeah, we are in western Massachusetts. We're in the Berkshires, right by the border between uh, Massachusetts and New York State. And I live there during the week usually about Sunday to Friday, and then I come home to northern New Jersey right outside New York City on the weekends. Ah, so it's about ah, two hours oh. away. Yeah, yeah. Two hours? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I I grew up in New Hampshire, and I used to drive I-90 oh, yeah. right through that area all the time sure. coming back. I, I, absolutely lo- I absolutely love that area. And indeed, I've never been to AIER, but I, I may try to find a way to come visit you guys. Someday. You should um, definitely come and visit us. You'd love it. I would love it, and I, I know I love the region. And actually, there's actually some St. Cloud friends of mine that live uh, that work at a community college very close to you there. So um, it'll be a good it'll be a good chance to, to uh, take a day or two and uh, hang around. I just love it there. Uh, anyway, Pete, uh, let's get back to the business that we have here, which is sure. you actually you actually in the it, it have tried to figure out what the impact of this OPEC. Or, or or members of OPEC decision were it would be on gas prices. And this is the question I always get. I was talking about before we brought you on. You may have heard me on the air say, I always get this question from this local radio guy. What's the price of gas going to be three months from now? And I'm like, you know, and I can't ever get him to accept, no, accept a non-answer. So I always have to sort of guess at this. Um, you've probably got a pretty better, uh, pretty good feel for that because you actually tried to do some, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it back of the envelope, but maybe a little spreadsheetish kind of calculation. What do you think is going to happen here? So, I mean, that all depends upon, so what I, I view us as having right now a, a sort of a low-risk situation, a medium-risk situation, and a high-risk situation. And I, and, I, and I view those in terms of the amount by which West Texas Intermediate, which is the uh, the type of, of oil we're talking about here, raises, right? So we've already seen a $5 increase, and that's simply in anticipation of the supply cuts. If we see the price get to, say, 90, between 90 and 100, I think we will see, so already, I should just let me jump in real quick. We've already seen like a 10 to 25 cent increase per gallon for regular. Now, that's anticipatory. That's gas, gas station owners and, and, and refiners and all of that sort of like getting out ahead of this so they don't have to raise weights all at once if it jumps. They can also make a little money in advance of this, which I don't really begrudge them. So if we see the oil price go right now, WTI is, I believe, $80 up from, 20, up from 75 we see it get into the 90 to 95 cent area, 90, 90 to 95, excuse me, dollar per barrel area. I think we're going to see a, a pretty good shift up in inflation. Maybe we'll see, you know, about a half a basis point. I'm sorry, about 50 basis points, something like that. And that would take the price of regular gasoline up 75 cents to a dollar 25, something like that. The worst case scenario would be if we saw oil reach levels that we hadn't seen since uh, February of last year, which would be the 120 to 125 dollar per barrel range. That would be pretty serious, and that would definitely take the price of regular gasoline up to over five dollars per gallon if things remain as they are. Now we have something happening right now which we didn't have a year or 13 months ago, and that is we have a slowing economy. So the drop in demand that may accompany a recession or a severe slowdown in the second half of 2023 may ratchet those down to a point where we can't even reach, even if West Texas Intermediate was to reach that $120 to $125 per barrel range, we might not reach $5 in gasoline. So, you know, I mean, it's pick the devil you prefer, right? Would you prefer a recession with lower gas prices or, or, or an economy that's not starting as much, maybe even sort of, I don't see a lot of growth, but sort of stagnant for the rest of the year and high uh, high gasoline prices. And then, of course, you have the feedback effects. If we have those high oil prices, will those accelerate a downturn? So wheels within the wheels. 
Yeah, and I think so. I think a, there's a couple of things I would react to with that, Pete. Um, I think one is going to be the, the the fact that I think the your pessimistic scenario where where gas gets to five dollars is is begins with somehow the demand for oil not being curbed by the higher prices going to uh, $4, right? And and I mm-hmm. think there's an argument sure. for that. In, I think there's an argument for that insofar as, as I've been saying, the, the impact of the, of the COVID shock is that we first wanted stuff and now we want experiences. And I'm going to go on my summer vacation and, and I don't care if the price of oil is three, four, or five. I'm going, man, because for the last three years I've been told mm-hmm. by society, by my spouse, uh, by my kids that I can't travel, right? Right. right. And so, right. and so I found, I'm finally like, okay, the, the Dickens with Ollie, I'm going. Um, I, you know, yeah, I could, I can see that. I don't think that's the. I, it doesn't sound like that's your base case, and I don't. It wouldn't be mine, um, but that's possible. But you said something in the previous uh, in the previous segment. We're visiting with Pete Earle from the American Institute for Economic Research on on the Biz fourteen forty. We said something that I thought was really interesting, which is the reason the oh, these countries cut production is that they see demand falling because they see a recession happening. So they don't see a five dollar price as being their likely outcome. Is there a chance that if they saw five dollars that they would actually sell more into it? Maybe not Saudi itself, but certainly those other cartel members who all of a sudden see this high price and say, boy, I really would like to pump an extra 25000 a day to get some of this profit I could get right now. Sure, sure. So they could do that. I mean, that's one thing they could do. I mean, there's two factors here. Right? First of all, you know, they're in this to make money, and they want to make money. So, yes, they could sort of open up the spigots when prices are higher, you know, peak demand pricing kind of thing. And they would also, you know, they, they would they, – they can probably engineer it such that they could sell a lot up there without materially – dampening prices, although that might happen anyway. But there's there's another factor, too, and that is that there's a clock ticking. There's a clock ticking in the background. You know, we have all these different countries and all these different firms and countries around the world that are looking at things like electric cars and other sorts of innovations. And I feel like even if it will take, and this is you know not an overnight thing, this could take you know a generation or two or three, I do feel like many of the firms, uh, many of the countries, rather, that are hugely dependent on, on petroleum, uh, I think a lot of them see the writing on the wall, and I don't think they're going to be as demure in the, in the present and future in trying to make hay while the sun is shining, shining so to speak. So I think yeah. that's also in the background of many of their minds. And, and so, so just to be sure I understand your, that point, which I think is super interesting, it basically is an argument that ESG is giving them uh, concern that they think in the long run you know, electric vehicles and, and are, are going to are going to win the day. Um, no, we're not going to have we're not going to have a green new deal. That's a ridiculous idea. However, on the margins, right. we are seeing a lot more green and greenish. You know, fossil yep. fuel free innovation. Right. We spent we spend a lot less money to produce you know a kilowatt hour, uh, a lot less yep. energy to produce a kilowatt hour. We spend we spend literally less energy to produce a thousand dollars worth of GDP than we did ten years ago. And not Absolutely. by a little bit, by a by a significant amount. So do you? So in that world, I and I, I'm trying to get to this one point. I, I, you'll forgive me, Pete. I'm using you to help teach a little economics to the audience because I can't get the, I can't get the teacher out of me, right? Um, but but I'm thinking to myself, what what it seems like they're doing is that you know you had a significant period of time. Where you know you talked about 123 being the high price over the last year it happened last mm-hmm. happened sometime late middle late fall February. last year. Yep. Well, yeah, yep. yeah. I think that's right. I think it's all the way back to there. But is it possible that they've sort of decided that they're going to figure out how to put a floor under the price of oil, uh, and they they just sort of say we'll adjust production to make sure that we don't see prices below seventy five dollars. Which to go back to our previous conversation. That works for Russia. It probably works for China. Uh, it probably, it, it, you know, and, and certainly works for for the members of OPEC and OPEC Plus. Yeah, what happened in what happened in May? Actually, it happened in April of 2020 in the May futures contract, where we actually had, you know, we had a, a, a complete drop in demand, and we had an increase of supply, and we just had prices fall through the floor 
Uh, actually, it was, it was, let me see what I say this. We had the complete drop in, in, in demand, and then we had, right, and then we had Russia and, and Saudi Arabia flood the market. So we had, in some places in the Midwest, we actually had $1 regular for a brief time, and the futures contract, the May futures contract, went negative. That will never, ever, ever happen again. I'm willing to stake my uh, reputation as a uh, terrible forecaster here to say that will never happen again. There is an artificial floor already under gas and I uh, under 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 oil, and I believe they want to ratchet that up to maybe no later, no lower than say 75. I think what they want to do is they want to make sure that with this sort of oil price cap and all these other things, that everybody's making money. All the OPEC members are making money, and uh, they're willing to do what's necessary in terms of supply to keep those numbers up there. And, yeah. uh, and the thing is, that may work for them now, but what, one of the things that they're doing, you know, like it or not, is they're accelerating the pace of innovation. That will force entrepreneurs into their garages and into their dorm rooms or wherever they are to come up with the next big thing in terms of, you know, fossil fuel free or, or low fossil fuel, uh, you know, input um, innovations. Yeah, I, that's a super good. That's a super good point. Uh, um, if they are trying to pr- provide that price support, uh, it's short run. It's probably short-run clever, but long-run foolish. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're visiting with Peter. I'm hoping I could keep you longer, Pete, because we haven't even talked about the impact on inflation, what the Fed's going to do as a result of this. We haven't talked about any of that yet. So let's we'll, we'll keep you here, uh, and I hope you'll stay with us as well. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Just about a year. Noisy, out of touch, on repeat. Tired of all the lookalikes? So are we. Salem News Channel is here to change the game. Streaming 24-7, free on your TV, with the greatest collection of conservative voices. Home to Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Like you, we say what's wrong and what's right. Unfiltered and unapologetic. Salem News Channel, we're the answer to the mainstream media. Learn more at snc.tv. Dr. Gorka here, and you know me. I am very cynical about products, especially those that claim to help people suffering from pain. So when I tell you that Relief Factor truly works, I want you to know that I mean it. I suffered from a stiff lower back for almost a decade, one so painful it made it difficult to kneel in church on Sundays. When I finally decided to give Relief Factor a try, I didn't ever imagine that I would find myself free of the pain. But that's what happened. Now I take Relief Factor every day. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. How is your car payment treating you? What if I told you you could make a free phone call right now and reduce your car payment by as much as $83 a month? Look at your car payment closely. You could be paying as high as 20% interest. Rate Genius can help you reduce your car payments by reducing your interest rate to as low as 2.48% APR. We can refinance most existing car loans or leased cars, new or used, and save you money every month. Put more money back in your pocket. The call is free to find out how low we can lower your car payment. Five minutes of your time right now could save you hundreds of dollars a year. Call Rate Genius now. 800-764-2179. 800-764-2179-800-764-2179. That's 800-764-2179. Not all applicants qualify for a loan or rate savings. Actual offer terms, including APR, are determined at the time of your application based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan term, and other factors. Your children and grandchildren are inheriting a world that's more upside down than ever before. They'll need extraordinary skills to make a positive impact. A Christian education will give them the solid foundation they need to not only endure, but thrive. And that education is available for half off their first year through TwinCitiesTuitions.com. To see our full list of participating schools and to see if the half-off tuitions program is a good fit for your family, go to TwinCitiesTuitions.com. That's TwinCitiesTuitions.com.
Welcome back, King Banyan Show, the Biz 1440. We're talking oil this hour with Pete Earle. Pete is an economist at the American Institute for Economic Research, uh, and uh, and we've been talking about uh, about the decision by some members of OPEC to reduce production of oil by a million barrels per day, and try and talk about what the impact is on price. Pete, I'm nothing if not uh, a, a person who serves my listeners. Um, one of our listeners, Lynn, asked uh, if you can discuss the views. What what does this do in terms of the value of the dollar in international trade? We know that Saudi Arabia has at first did some small transaction where it agreed to settle contracts in uh, in won rather than in dollars. And I and I believe there's another. I believe this one that I tweeted to you as well. The tweeted out to our listeners as well of the refinery i believe that's going to those those that 500 million barrels a day going to the chinese refinery um settlement of contracts i believe are to be in yuan rather than in dollars what do you see as the impact in that so i wrote an article uh and it's on the air site it came out on um, on tuesday and it's called uh, essentially de-dollarization has begun and I'm talking about that, those and many other sort of efforts overall taking place around the world to sort of reduce the use of the dollar, which is, of course, the global reserve currency. It's used in, you know, to denominate and, uh, and settle trades all around the world, especially in oil. But I would say this. Uh, I understand why many nations like Russia and, uh, and, and Saudi Arabia and China and others are trying to diversify away from the dollar. But I would say this. Right now in SWIFT, which is the major messaging system makes up about 41% of transactions, the euro about 36, and the Chinese yuan 2%. So, you know, the dollar has a huge lead on every other currency out there. It's a, you know, without getting too wonky, I I am a fan of uh, complexity theory. It's a path-dependent process. There are high barriers to exit. There are high switching costs. I mean, if this were to happen, a lot of things would have to change, and it would take generations to do so. I mean, you know, China doesn't have a floating currency. China doesn't have an open capital account. China is very doesn't let capital flow freely out of its borders. So the odds of the yuan overtaking the dollar in any in, you know in, in even a ten or twenty year time period is are very very low. It's nothing to be alarmed about right now. But it's, people are alarmed by it. They're you know we could endorse uh, you know maybe a little better treatment of our dollar. Um, some other things. I don't want to get too political, but there are some things we could do to keep that mapping. That's nothing for anybody to get worried about right now, not for a long time. Many more pressing issues in the U.S. right now. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with all of that, Pete. And I I, I remind people that the uh, the roots of Bretton Woods were laid in 1918. Um, so there's oh, sure. it's a long there's a long way to go uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. before before you could imagine it. And it's funny, I got. I got asked almost this exact question on Thursday, and I think our answers are just about the same. Is the the basically the the uh, first mover advantage? And I do I did not emphasize Swift enough in my answer as you just did. So I think that I think those things are important. All right, Pete, let's yeah. get let's get to the let's get to the real to the to, to one of the real things that you were trying to it's, talk it's about uh, in this. Right. <laughs> yeah, what's this? What does this do for inflation in the United States? I mean, we go to CPI report here uh, next mm-hmm. week. Uh, I, yeah. I don't think it will show up in those data because they were taken a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, certainly when we get the April data in middle May uh, after the next Fed meeting, how big an impact do you see happening to the inflation rate? So it's going to have an effect. And, of course, that effect is going to the, 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 the OPEC price of Price, uh, rather, supply cuts are going to have an effect at some point. And, of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the standard economist and say, well, it depends upon how much of a price effect it has. The, the amount of the price increase is going to affect how much it is inflation. But this is a really undesirable and a really worrisome headwind for the Fed because the Fed's uh, disinfl- the, the disinflationary impact of the Fed uh, rate hikes was already slowing in January and February. As a matter of fact, I think for practical purposes, you could say that it sort of stopped in goods and it actually was reversed a little bit in in, in services, in particular in rents and certain services. We actually see inflation getting kind of sticky Um, in CPI. We're going to say 5.5% for core, 
five, uh, about six percent for headline, which in, which includes food and energy. So, if we see just again back in the loop calculations, if we see you know a five ten dollar increase in oil prices that takes WTI to say ninety ninety five, I think we're going to see about a quarter. 25 basis points increase on the CPI. If we were to back to 100%, we would see about something like 0.75% 75 basis points. And if we're talking about 120, uh, 120, 125 dollars a share. I mean, that could be as much as 1%, 1.25% added to CPI. But of course, these are all, you know, moving processes. This is all very dynamic. So, you know, we again, you know, I see a lot of signs that the economy is slowing. So that has to be factored in. Lower demand for oil is going to gasoline. If we have a recessionary slowdown, means that impact on CPI is going to be less. So that, that's what I see. I, I mean, it, it's, it's going to make the Fed's job much tougher. Um, you know, as, as, if and as uh, oil prices and subsequently gasoline prices rise. Right. So the Fed has been uh, targeting, uh, let me reset, we're talking with Pete Earle from the American Institute for Economic Research uh, this hour of the King Banging Show on the Biz 1440. Pete, one thing that our listeners will hear regularly from me is is how the Fed will shift in move its definition of what inflation rate it's looking at depending on yes. what it is I think they've decided to do. So lately I've had to get used to trying to explain the concept of super core, um, which, you know, I, I, I believe that they eventually, I think now you have to go, Is can you go right to super D duper core or is that a violation <laughs> of, of core etiquette to, to quote an old movie? Um, the, um, uh, I, I'm wondering if the Fed is going to choose to say, I'm not concentrating on that impact of energy, it didn't on the way down when prices came down through, you know, came down through the summer and fall of 22. They said, yeah, that's having a reducing impact on inflation, but core's up here and we're really watching core, uh, you know, to tell us where inflation's going. Is that going to work in the other direction? Will they try to ignore the impact of inflation on inflation from oil price increases to maybe hold rates steady or even lean into the banking crisis, which I still, we haven't talked about, but I, I'm interested in your views on that. But do you, I mean, how do you think the Fed's going to choose to react to what they will see, what they could argue to be, dare I use the word, transitory oil price changes? Yeah, so, so I mean, it's important to note here, and this gets a little wonky, I want to stay out of wonky territory, but when you have a supply cut, you have prices rise, that's supply and demand. So that's not that's not inflationary. That's a relative price change, and that's what we would expect. You know, the supply of something goes down, uh, the prices are going to go up, and people will eventually rotate away from it to substitutes or whatever. So if prices go up, those numbers will show up in our inflation numbers, but they are not, I mean, I guess maybe to a small extent, but they're largely not being caused by inflation. It's not the Friedmanite concept of, you know, loss of money chasing limited goods and services in this case. It's a reduction of supply. Having said that, the Fed will probably, the Fed would probably, if they saw this and as well, if they saw this kind of an increase as well as uh, the continuing slowing or reversal of disinflation, they probably are going to do one more 25 basis point lift and they may do another one after that. But I think really what they're worried about right now is the fact that we have all these, I mean, they, they, they've said that they want inflation to be their major concern. But I do think in the back of their minds is that we have all of these banks out there, American banks sitting on something like $600, $600 billion worth of unrealized losses in bonds. And yes. if interest rates continue to rise, the duration gap between their fixed payments of long-term holdings and their short-term, you know, what they have to pay out kind of liabilities to debtors, you know, that gets bigger. You're going to have... More, uh, you may have more situations like we saw with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature. So I think that's in the back of their mind. Although the two bank failures did sort of did some of the Fed's job for it because credit has been tightened, loans are being pulled in, or uh, and lending is being pulled in, and so that's also having an effect on inflation. So again, yeah. I don't have to tell you lots of moving parts. Yeah, there are, and indeed, I think the tightening credit conditions from the failure of Silicon Valley and Signature. You know, I 
someone said, well, that's a flaw of the monetary policy of the, the Fed. I said, that's not a flaw. That's a feature. They want that. No, that's a feature. Yeah, that's a feature. Yeah, it's, a fe- right. it's absolutely a feature of it, and, and that's what they want. Uh, uh, so I, I, I do think the, the oil price change is going to be something that they're going to – I think they'll end up finessing it somewhat, but I think you're right. The moving part is how does the economy re- adjust, react? I think – Given what you said in the last in the last segment about increased use of EVs and the fact that our energy consumption per thousand dollars of GDP produced is continually declining over the last 15, 20 years or so, um, I just wonder if somehow now using a, a wonky economist term, I wonder if the economy is is less reactive, less elastic uh, with respect to oil prices than it was certainly when I was a kid back in the 70s um, yeah i mean so, so i mean that's that's one of the issues that, that has come up with me and i've been thinking i remember the 70s i might be a little younger than you but not much but what i what, what one of the things I, I i've been thinking about and i'll let you write about is you know the disinflation has sort of slowed down and it hasn't uh, really the fed rates really haven't had as much of an effect as we thought i wonder if the fact that you and i were kids in a goods and manufacturing-focused economy, and now we have a service and financial and, you know, more service-oriented economy, I wonder if inflation looks and acts, so to speak, the way it used to. Now, I'm not sure that the Fed's, you know, armamentarium of tools is necessarily good uh, or as good, as effective in the kind of economy we have now. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think, and I, 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 I got to go away to a break in a second, Pete. And I, but, but I want to make this one point before before we uh, before we go away to that, which is, we learned back in the seventies and eighties that using data from twenty to thirty years ago to build your model about how the economy will work in the future, we learned mm-hmm. that that doesn't work. We it was it was attributed to uh, to an economist named uh, Bob Lucas in the Lucas Policy yeah. Critique. I kind of wonder if we're committing that same error now, uh, you know, here 40 years later, that perhaps we haven't learned our Lucas as well as we should have. Um, and, 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 and so that's why, that's why I, I mean, I've been doing forecasting, you know, of the local economy here for 25 years. My model, has, my model looks nothing like the model I had when I started here. Part of that is data limitations, but part of it is this economy looks different than it did 20, 25 years ago, and I've got to adjust with it or else my, my forecast is going to stink. Um, so economics, absolutely. That, so, yeah, the facts change, sir. Will you change with them? Yes, in fact, I will. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, so let's take a break here. We'll be back. We'll be back with one final, and relatively short segment with uh, Pete Earle from the American Institute for Economic Research. After these messages, you're listening to the King Banyan Show on the Biz 1440. The Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. Jim and I knew of Robbinsdale Women's Center, but didn't really know them until we toured. We were astonished by the amazing facilities and the genuine love and care the staff showed each woman that walked through the doors. That tour began our partnership with Robbinsdale Women's Center. Cindy and I have witnessed RWC's fiscal stewardship of our financial gifts. Being on the board has allowed me to see the careful discernment and prayerful thought That goes into every decision at Robbinsdale Women's Center. RWC receives no government funding and is debt-free. RWC owns all their assets and is 100% donor-supported. We're amazed at the number of abortion-minded women they serve. Weekly, five women, initially at risk of aborting their pregnancies, instead choose life. Join Cindy and I in supporting Robbinsdale Women's Center. Your gift will bring hope and life. Go to rwcinfo.org and help more mothers choose life. Let's make a difference. rwcinfo.org. I always thought that tires would be more expensive at a dealership, but Invergrove Hyundai proved me wrong. Hi, it's Mike from Rosemont. I knew I needed a new set of tires before winter. My go-to is usually my warehouse club because, hey, they're a warehouse club, right? They have to have the best deal. I bought two cars at Invergrove Hyundai, and they're great to work with, so I thought I'd just see what they had to offer. I told Tyler what I usually spend and asked if he had a good set of tires in that price range. He gave me a great quote, and it was a few bucks under my limit on a set of four tires. Plus, he got me in and out in an hour. If you need tires, skip the specialty shop and the warehouse clubs and give Invergrove Hyundai a call. Let them know what you need, and they'll take care of you like they did for me. 
Invergrove Hyundai service technicians are ready for you no matter what kind of vehicle you drive. Open 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. weekdays. Call them today or schedule your appointment at InvergroveHyundai.com. That's InvergroveHyundai.com. The Ramsey Show. I found a job that's very rewarding, but they're going to work me like a dog. It's a 70-hour work week. 70 hours a week. Man's not, woman's not created to work like that. Indefinite? Yeah, that's an indefinite situation. You married? I'm not married. You won't be. Yeah. You could do it for a short term. Don't sell out for something that just looks good. It's got to be good in all aspects. Break free from debt with The Ramsey Show. Weekday afternoons, 1 to 4. The Ramsey Show. And your husband's going to step up and get a backbone and deal with this because you're going to end up really further pissed at him if you don't. Yeah, you're going to end up losing your marriage over this. The Ramsey Show, live every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4. Salmon fishing in Alaska at an amusement park in Green Bay or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. Listen to The Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Welcome back, King Banyan Show. The Biz 1440, thank you for listening. I usually let the music run a little bit, but I need every second with Pete Earle. He is uh, an economist at the American Institute for Economic Research and is fast becoming one of my, one of, one of my favorites here. Uh, Pete, thank you so much. Hey, let, let, there's one more question we just have to get to, which is the banking crisis. Is it over? Are we done with this? And if so, if so... Depending on that answer, what do you think happens next? So my, my again, you know, as an economist, my, my answer is going to be as of what we know right now in current conditions. I do think that the banking crisis is essentially over, and I'll give you a few reasons for that. You know, first of all, we, we really had two banks collapse and one almost collapse. Uh, the, the situation with Credit Suisse and with Deutsche Bank were completely different. There actually was no problem with Deutsche Bank. It was just a, a, the rumor mill. Credit Suisse was a very troubled financial institution. Um, you know, it might have lost faith, but it wasn't in, in the same category so as anything else. So we really had two banks fail and one get in trouble. And the thing is, the two banks that failed had very, very narrow depositor bases, and they also had tremendous duration gaps, which means they were receiving, you know, long-term fixed payments that were very low. They bought bonds at a very high price, which means that the interest rates were very low, that the yields, rather, were very low, and they were paying more and more to keep depositors. And they had a very narrow depositor base, which meant that they, their, their, their basically liabilities acted in hurries. In the case of Silicon Valley, a few VCs could make a few phone calls to a few hundred portfolio companies, and all the money would just rush out. So we've seen borrowing at the discount window falling. We've seen the Fed's new term bank funding program used a little bit, which is allowing banks that do have, say, paper losses, unrealized losses on bonds to go there and borrow the face amount. I don't think there's going to be many more problems right now. Um, I don't think many banks are in the same situation, and the Fed seems to have addressed those issues. But, I mean, you know, again, uh, economics, like the sport of boxing, is the theater of the unexpected. So we may have some other surprises, but as of right now, I don't see any more problems in banking over the near term, at least. So, so Pete, you cited in the last segment that $600 billion number, uh, and I think that's actually FDIC's own calculation of the paper losses on the books of the banks right now does the lending facility kind is that is that your answer to why that's not going to be a problem for the next for for the rest of 23 yeah there's a few things so there are banks that have those duration gaps like uh, svb and um, and signature had but a lot of banks have put on simple things. I mean, very simple innovations like vanilla credit, uh, vanilla um, uh, interest rate swaps, where you can swap out those fixed legs for floating legs. Um, you know, the thing is that SVB was very exposed to. They, I mean, certainly many of these banks knew that interest rates would eventually rise. They just didn't know how quickly, so they sort of got caught in the last 13 months of Fed hikes. But I think that the ability to borrow from the Fed at the face value of bonds, and therefore not have to sell these bonds at a loss. And, you know, I'm sure that the derivative salesmen at all these different investment banks are going to these banks that have big duration gaps and saying, hey, we have a product that you can hedge away this risk or that risk. I think uh, that's why I think this is mostly behind us. Now, if you can imagine a situation where interest rates are 3 percent higher, you know, 300, 250 basis points higher uh, within the next year or so, 
yeah, I mean, then we could have a whole new round of, of issues uh, arise. But as of right now, I think it's mostly stabilized. I think it was mostly a couple of banks that were extremely vulnerable for sort of unique reasons. Okay. Uh, a, a couple of points. First of all, that, that yeah, they're, you're right. They're, the value of those those interest rate swaps, are, they're kind of vanilla swaps, but it, it, reminds me, it reminds me of a story I would always tell about seeing the price of umbrellas at a, in a town in Italy, and, and the price seemed to change depending on the number of clouds that were in the sky. Um, uh, it's, I, I, I could take you to the place that's in a square in Macerata in, in the very, in, along the Adriatic coast. Uh, but uh, I, I think the other point, uh, Pete, have you heard anything to the effect that the reason they didn't buy those swaps, SVB wasn't stupid, but in fact they were having to obey an accounting rule that they had to not cover their risk because because they were holding those securities as being held to maturity versus being available for sale. Are you familiar with that story? So there's so banks have to hold their long-term assets in one of two accounts. One is called HTM, which is held to maturity. The other is AFS, which is available for sale or, or, or assets for sale. And I don't actually know the rule, but I do know this, and that is that I went to the SVB website about maybe a few days or just when they started to have problems, and I noticed that there were page after page of inf- there's page after page of information about uh, about their carbon footprint and all that. And then it turned out that they, uh, they their risk officer they hadn't had a risk officer for say eight months or so. And I just yes. you know time and resources being what they are, you know a little more work even buying say a risk management he- uh, textbook, you know uh, risk five hundred one from your local uh, master's to, uh, finance master's program would have been helpful. I, d- I don't know what they couldn't buy those sort of hedges, but I do know that there is a, a whole financialized world out there which could have offered some sort of advice yeah. as to doing that. Yeah, I'm just going to say, I've read stories that would that say they could not buy the interest rate, they couldn't buy the derivative asset on their held to maturity portfolio uh, without having to mark to market, and, and that that, that yeah. may have been the issue. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'll just throw that I, out there. I may have learned something here myself. I'll, I'll check into that. Thank you. Yeah, take take a look at that. And anyway, anyway, we're out of time, Pete. I hope we'll get you back soon. I hope you're. I I, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Always a pleasure, King. Thank All right, you. thank you, Pete. We'll visit with you again sometime soon. I want to thank everyone else for listening as well. That's Pete Earle from the American Institute for Economic Research uh, in uh, in Western Massachusetts. Uh, and I want to thank Spencer for production today. I want to wish you all a happy Easter, happy Passover, and happy Ramadan. And we'll see you next week on the King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Over-the-counter hearing aids are a new class of hearing devices regulated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and an option for adults 18 and over with perceived mild to moderate hearing loss. Get your hearing tested by an audiologist or hearing instrument dispenser. A tip sheet and shopping checklist is available on the Hearing Loss Association of America's website. Paid for by the Minnesota Commission of the Deaf, Deafblind, and Hard of Hearing, the Minnesota Broadcasters Association, and this station. I was nine weeks along and didn't know what else to do. I felt helpless, and I didn't want to leave it up to her, but I didn't know what to do or say. I didn't know there were other options available. I didn't know it was a baby with a beating heart at 18 days. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America, the Billboard people. So often we get calls just like this from men and women seeking help and alternatives. Our 800 hotline connects callers to the services they need for pregnancy, adoption, as well as post-abortion assistance. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of confidential counseling or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or check us out on the web, Pro-Life ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is educational, non-political, and tax deductible. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Can your IRA stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is at our doorsteps? By allocating a percentage of your IRA into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from turbulent markets and economic downturns by putting your IRA back on the gold standard. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical 
precious metals. Call now for your free gold and silver report. Protect your IRA today with one simple phone call and learn how to qualify for up to $10,000 in free silver. Call Genesis Gold Group, empowering faith-driven stewardship. 800-504-1123. You need to call the police and you need to call your father. And you need to get you and your son away from this guy. We're going to remove the trespasser. I want to fix it. That's why I want to my home and I just want to go. No, 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 no hun, honey. We don't need to call a realtor. We need to get the boyfriend out of the house and that's going to involve the police. You and your son are in danger. You have to get away from this guy. Listen, you are worth being okay. Direct, honest, helpful. The Ramsey Show, live on the Biz 1440. When the markets are down. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.